They've got a brand new stadium, a big one, and they're going to put a big flag out there in a moment because the Eagle has landed for the Premiers. There's a new dynasty in the NBA. The Golden State Warriors champions once again. Hello and welcome to this Wednesday's edition of the Sports Desk on Sin. I'm April. I've got Tom and Kendra with me as always every Wednesday. How are you guys today? Oh, really good. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Good. It's been a um, pretty good weekend of sport for me. Um, Tom, I think you're in the in the same boat. It's been a very nice weekend for sport. A lot of footy, the Premier League wrapped up. No Formula One, unfortunately, this week or last week happens again this week. But it's been an eventful week of week of sports. Nice. We'll get straight into the AFL chat as always before we touch on a few other topics such as um, tennis and some soccer throughout the show. Um, but we'll start as always with our recap of the AFL round and Kendra, you must be a little bit disappointed um, with Richmond going down to GWS. Yes, I'm very disappointed that they are now ninth on the ladder. They're just outside that top eight, but hopefully with eight players coming back, they will get back into the top eight next round. It's been some poor kicking from Richmond recently, kicking six yes. fourteen for the game. That's very, very poor. You really didn't help yourselves there. No, definitely not. But hopefully they'll they'll gain a little bit more confidence with more of their team there. So hopefully the skills are just there because they're a bit psyched out at the moment. We can, we can all hope. Um, <laughs> we'll go through the rest of the results from round eight of the season. So we had the Western Bulldogs get up and beat Gold Coast 51 to 46. Um, GWS beat Richmond 62-50. to On the Saturday games, we had Carlton beat North Melbourne 64-57. to Yes. Sydney beat Hawthorne 60-53. to And another disappointing loss for Hawthorne fans. Um, this was my favourite game of the round. St Kilda got up over Port Adelaide 73-44, to which I tipped. And I'm, I'm terrible at footy tipping, if anybody knows me well. Um, so I'm thrilled with getting that one correct. Uh, then we had my team Essendon got up 62-59 to over Adelaide. West Coast beat Collingwood 111-45. to Big win there for the Eagles. Brisbane beat Melbourne 53-49. to and then we had the Monday game uh, with Geelong getting up over Fremantle, 48 to only 16. In an eventful week, you have a couple of really close games, you have a shutout, and then you have the Geelong-Fremantle game, which was just atrocious in horrible conditions. And both teams were just very poor this week as well. Yeah, definitely not a very good showing there from Fremantle. Um, I thought perhaps going into the game, they, they might have had a bit of a chance because obviously Geelong's missing some of their best players. Um, Fremantle are also missing some players. But yeah, I was surprised it went so badly. To be honest, it just sort of, I sort of didn't really pay much attention to the game at all and just carried on like a normal Monday, um, even though it was plain. But um, I want to discuss the Port Adelaide-St Kilda game. Um, two things that stood out. One was just St Kilda's straight kicking um 12-1 was their 
final score, which is very impressive. And I think sort of we're seeing like a lot of teams this year not be very accurate with their goal kicking. Um, and that's definitely letting a lot of teams down. So that was possibly the difference between St Kilda and Port Adelaide. We look at um, the West Coast game as well. The Eagles kicked 18-3. Like that's just incredible. And it's awesome being a St Kilda supporter for the average couple of seasons they've had recently. And it's really, really incredible signs seeing this team come about. It's exciting footy and it's a great win over Port Adelaide for them. Yes, definitely. I also think with St Kilda, they seem so much more cohesive as a team. Like They seem to be really working with each other and working as a team, even when they're coming under a little bit of pressure. And you've mm. got to think, is that, you know, is that Brett Ratton coming in and bringing in uh, a fresh look on things? Because, you know, Alan Richardson, they, the St Kilda players weren't getting that much out of it. And then Brett Ratton comes in and all of a sudden these players are happy and playing so well. And it's just a whole new culture, it seems, down at St Kilda. Yeah, it's definitely great to see for the Saints. Um, I'm not sure if you guys caught Tim Membry's um, spectacular goal, a yes. soccer-style backwards kick over his head, which was actually called a point straight away, and then the field umpire sent it up for a review and turned out to be a goal. Um, I think this is a chance for goal of the year. It's very interesting because he didn't really kick the ball. The ball got punched into his foot. So it's a bit iffy on that. It's a spectacular goal, but it did get punched into his foot. He didn't actually kick the ball himself. So I feel like that could be an argument against the goal of the year. So that's what I thought. I thought it, it looked as though the ball just rolled onto the tip of his boot. So does that count as him actually kicking it? Because it just looked like it just rolled perfectly and his foot went with the ball. And that was the goal at the end. I was adamant that it was a point at first, but it turned out to be a goal. Yeah, it's a good point you both make. But nevertheless, I think it was a pretty spectacular thing and definitely a, a unique idea that really paid off for him um, to go, go up with the boot rather than with his hands. Yeah, it, it, or arguably could have been called um, kicking in danger as well, which it probably should have been in the first place for how high his foot went. I don't believe in AFL anyway. If you if your foot goes above anyone's waist or chest, it probably should be deemed dangerous, which is the whole point of the Toby Green rule as well. Like you can't stick your boot out to stop players. And then I don't know. I just think it's a bit bit dodgy for how spectacular it was. It you know probably shouldn't have happened. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. I want to mention quickly the whole Patrick Cripps scenario at the moment. And I know it doesn't just happen to Patrick Cripps, but he seems to be, it seems to be happening a lot to him more recently as well. So over the weekend against North Melbourne, he, there was a couple of instances around uh, contests where he would be dragged to the ground and tackled and held without the opponent going near the ball. And there would be no free kick called for it. It, it had happened all day and it's been happening the past couple of weeks. And it's something that they've brought up to the AFL, as it please explain. Um, and it's something that, you know, it happens to Dusty and Danger and Fife and those sort of players, but they're always the ones getting free kicks for it. And I just, I don't know, I just want to bring it to everyone's attention that this is happening to other players. And do you think the umpires are going to maybe look at it and try and fix it? Or is it something that they're just going to call off and be like, oh, it's part of the game. You've got to let it happen. It's something that's now starting to feed into sort of mainstream discussions. Like there's been um, a few articles written about it and different things. So 
I think that's likely to, um, as people become more aware of it, uh, it's a play on the minds of the umpires as well when they're during the games. Um, umpires this season sort of have been getting quite a bit of critique for a lot of different decisions. Um, but, yeah, I think, I think we could see some more frees getting paid to him. And I know there's been a lot of free kicks paid in a lot of games, the, the umpires aren't letting it flow as much as they used to. They're giving so many free kicks out and it seems like it's becoming more of a stop-start game, like more and more over the past couple of weeks too. Turn up your radio. This is Sin. Now, talking about the families who are up on the Gold Coast enduring hub life. Now, some of the families have been said to be taking advantage of hub life, meaning that they are going to the beach, even going to the theme parks. What are our thoughts on this? Because they have been told by AFL and the clubs that they have to stay in strict lockdown rules in the hub. It's definitely something to keep an eye on. I know not every player is allowed to have their family. So these, these families that are allowed to go up, it is a bit of a privilege that they're allowed to be there and support their, their partner. So it's a bit disappointing that they're going out and doing this stuff considering that everyone has to be in this tight lockdown if someone goes out and gets COVID then it's going to compromise the whole season as well yeah exactly um I think if you think of what the consequences could be if someone does catch the virus um one of the family members and spreads it like that that will see the league get shut down I think so um I think the AFL will be pretty keen to stop these families from doing that if that is what's occurring. Yeah, definitely. Even what they said on Footy Classified is that um, it is a privilege and they have it so much better up there than they are having in Victoria. So they don't want to take advantage of that and even, you know, threaten the season because, you know, one little, like, foot out of line and the season could come crashing down if they have a spike in cases. Yeah, and it's not fair on the Queensland government as well. They've done such an amazing job to get all these Vic... Vic personnel up to Queensland and in these hubs and then you're having these people come from Victoria and not listening to the advice and going out and breaking quarantine so it's not it's not a good look either and also they are they're staying at resorts and things like it's it's not a that bad a life they're not that um lacking in things to do like I think there's just like stuff like pools or parks or different things that they can do at the place where they're staying so I think for them to be needing to leave that is there's not much of an argument for that yeah the amount of money that's being spent on them you know all the all these full-time staff that have been put on hold or let go don't have jobs anymore with the afl but then the afl spending all this money to fly you and your family up and stay in a resort you probably should be listening to the guidelines and staying in the resort all right now to the afl round eight ladder on top we have port adelaide then we have Brisbane Lions, followed by the Geelong Cats, St Kilda, West Coast Eagles, Western Bulldogs, Essendon and Collingwood. Very upset that Richmond has dropped out of the top eight and are now in the top nine. What are our thoughts on the ladder, guys? I love the ladder at the moment. It's looking, you know, each round it's changing all the time. Teams are going out and in. There's no definitive top eight at the moment. There's so many teams that can still make it. You know, you have the Giants, Carlton, Gold Coast and Richmond all within two points of each other. Even Essendon, Bulldogs, West Coast, St Kilda and Geelong, they're all on the same amount of points. So one game can change the ladder completely and I feel like it's going to make it a more exciting season. 
Yeah, it's definitely, it's a really exciting season. Um, I'm really enjoying having the ladder so close. Um, like we've talked about most weeks, you know, really from the top to three quarters of the way down, it's only a game or two that's split in all the teams. So um, as we said, we've got the 20 consecutive days of footy kickstarting tonight. Um, and I think this period is really going to shake up the ladder even more. Yeah, definitely. I think the latter, all teams within the top eight, they're all so similar. They're all having like really good games and really bad games. So I think all teams are really similar in ability. It just comes down to the day which team can pull it out of the bag, really. So round nine of the AFL kicks off tonight between the Western Bulldogs and Richmond. Um, it is, of course, a Wednesday night game, which is pretty unusual, um, but we're going to be having footy most days of the week for the next few weeks, which will be very exciting to see how this all unfolds. There's always something on the TV to watch now. On FM, on DAB Plus, and streaming online at sin.org.au. This is Sin, where young people run the show. Next up in our discussion, I wanted to bring up with you guys about an article that I read, um, which was looking at the TV viewer ratings for the NRL and the AFL. And they had some stats come out, which found that since the NRL season restarted, they've lost uh, just over a million of their TV viewers. So their ratings have dropped pretty significantly um, between when the season restarted and now, whereas the AFL have maintained their audience um, pretty regularly across the the season so far of about 5 million viewers. Um, the NRL generally gets, um, at the moment, they're getting about 3.4 million and at the restart they had 4.5 million. Um, what I probably wanted to bring to you guys is why do you think this is happening? Why are we seeing a drop-off of NRL fans on the TV? Uh, you know, you, you could argue that the Brisbane Broncos, who are probably one of the biggest draws draws for primetime rugby. They've only won one match since the restart. So if they're one of the biggest clubs, you know, it'd be like Richmond or Collingwood having a shocking season and all these fans, you know, they're not gonna not gonna tune into a game as much as as you would hope so. So that 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 could be a factor into why they've lost a fair few uh, viewers. I also wonder if maybe because most of NRL's fans do predominantly come from Queensland here in Victoria, we're more about like following the AFL. Now that you've had all these sports relocating to Queensland, do you maybe think that the Queenslanders are also watching other sports and taking another, an interest in these other sports that have come up, which they may not usually follow? I definitely think that could be happening. Um, of course, we've got all the AFL has gone up there. Um, so I think it's pretty likely that people might be deciding to watch that now that it's on their doorstep. Um, probably as well, I think the NRL was the first league to restart of most sports. Um, so right when it restarted, there was probably more people watching just because it was the only thing on. And now that the AFL is back in full swing and even now on most nights of the week, um, I think that probably makes sense why more people are just choosing the AFL over the NRL. And you have teams like Brisbane and even the Gold Coast, you know, winning more games. The Gold Coast have just uh, surpassed their highest ever membership tally as well. So there's more more supporters supporting the Gold Coast. You have more people in Queensland invested in these teams as well. So that's probably taking away from the viewership over in Queensland too. So onto some tennis chat now. And Tennis Australia came out 
uh, over the last week and announced some sort of fairly vague plans um, for the Australian Open 2021, but they are um, all steam ahead with organising the tournament to go ahead in spite of some increasing coronavirus cases, obviously in Victoria. Um, the Australian Open will be in January next year, so it's a fair way away. Um, and they've got the US Open, if that does go ahead, and then whatever other tennis tournaments follow on from that to use as um, sort of uh, guidelines, see how their tournaments go to lead into the Oz Open. But so some of the plans that they've announced for it is that the likelihood of having no overseas fans um, having a pretty intense like biosecurity bubble for the players, which I think will be pretty similar to what the AFL players are in in their hubs. Um, having half full stadium seating inside Rod Laver Arena and such. And there's also a possibility, though, of having fans from New Zealand if there does end up being um, a travel bubble between Australia and New Zealand. Um, what do you guys think of the announcements that Tennis Australia made and the likelihood of what the Oz Open is going to look like. I love the fact that they're still going to planning to go ahead with it. I love the Oz Open every year. I work there. It's just a lot of fun. The problem with the Australian Open compared to other tournaments is they advertise it and make it more about a fan experience than about the tennis. It's, tennis is still important, but they draw people in with you know the Grand Slam Oval and all the food stalls and all the activities to do. So by reading this article, it doesn't sound like they're planning on doing that. And you probably can't either. If you're going to have people separated in the stands, you can't have them then go outside and all sit together in a bar or in a food court or whatever outside. So that could potentially be a problem as well. Yeah. And I also wonder because they're not having any, obviously not having anyone from overseas coming, especially if overseas players are coming, how are they going to go when you're going to have only Australian fans in the audience and they're only going to be going for the Australian tennis players? I think that would play on the minds of the players and almost like psych them out in a way when they are playing. Because I, I think when watching the tennis, tennis players really feed off having like support from the crowd. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, there's definitely a chance of that happening. Um, I think one of the really nice things about the Australian Open is seeing all the fans that come from overseas and they're always so passionate about the players from their country that they've come to support. So um, it will be disappointing to not have them and I think it will take something away from the tournament. Um, but at the same time, there's not a lot that Tennis Australia can do um, to solve that problem. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of Australian fans. If you're a tennis fan as well, you you probably follow one of the big three. You're either a Novak fan, you're a Roger fan, or you're a Nadal fan. So they'll, the big three will get support and then you get all the Aussies that you think would get a lot of support. And then a lot of the other players that fall further down the list, you're probably not going to have as many fans for them. And it might be a bit harder for those players who usually do have some support, but all of a sudden they're not going to have anything anymore. Yeah, it would definitely be very hard for the players. But then again, having no fans supporting you and being able to play is probably the better than no tournament at all. Yeah. Anything is better than no tournament. And it, again, it's great for all these, like we've been discussing the past couple of weeks, it's great for all these players to still be in the job and still come out and get some prize money to help them fund, fund their, uh, their careers and for the rest of the year as well to help pay for their team. Sin, we're young people run the show. All right, moving on. I just want to quickly mention the A-League over the weekend. We have the 
uh, Melbourne Victory and Western United playing their first game at the restart. And Grant Brebner for the victory, his first game as interim coach, came out, played a really young squad, which a lot of Victory fans were, were happy for, considering our season is down the drain at the moment. So Western United ended up coming out and winning 2-1 in the derby, which is unfortunate for victory, but very good for Western United for their finals hopes. And even bigger news, because the Wellington Phoenix drew with Adelaide United, Sydney FC have now clinched their fourth Premier's plate, which makes it the most of any A-League team in history. In more soccer news over in England this time, the EPL season has finally wrapped up. But they've got their new season set to restart in about a month's time. Tom, do you want to take us through the details of what, what is happening over there? Yes. So the Premier League season had their final day over the weekend. And it was an eventful final day as well. The championship had already been uh, decided by Liverpool. They'd already clinched the title a couple of weeks ago. But there were still two top four spots up for grabs, which Manchester United and Chelsea ended up clinching. Leicester ended up finishing fifth as well, which is an incredible feat for them considering they've been poor after their title win a couple of years ago. And there is still some Champions League football left to play, which is set to commence on the 8th of August. But the final is also set to be played late August, I believe the 24th or 28th of August as well, which means there isn't much time for a restart for the Premier League again. So I just want to ask do you guys reckon that's fair on the players there's not much time left do you reckon it's going to be, it's going to impact any teams um so i think the so the premier league restart date is set for the 12th of september um it's really not that far away and their season's pretty long as well um i'm not sure exactly how many matches they usually um how many rounds they usually have but i i think some of the players will really struggle with this yeah, so that they play 38 games plus the FA Cup and the League Cup as well. So there are two League Cups to play and some teams like Man United and Chelsea will be also playing in the Champions League, Champions League still. So there are, there are a lot of games to play and especially next year with the Euros starting as well or the uh, European International Tournament. So that's even more football for these players to, to play. So it could it could come about that a lot of these players might be injured or rested and it, it could really hinder some of these smaller clubs as well with less depth. Yeah, I think it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out. I think it's likely that we'll see some teams might really thrive under this um, situation and some that weren't doing so well beforehand might suddenly shoot up the ladder, whereas um, some players we might, some clubs we might see really struggle. So um it's a pretty tough one, and, and I imagine if, if I were in the position of a player, I don't think I would be too happy about it. Yeah, so the season was meant to start early August. So they've pushed it back by a whole month. So they're still behind the regular schedule as well, which could impact next year too. All right, moving on to netball, which is starting Saturday, 1st of August. The fixtures have been released, and we have on the first day the Firebirds versus the Lightning. Then we have Sydney Giants versus West Coast Fever. Then on Sunday, the 2nd of August, we have the Swifts versus the Thunderbirds. And then on Sunday as well, we have Melbourne Vixens versus the Collingwood Magpies. What are your thoughts on the fixture that has been released? 
it's just great that it's come back. And all of the first round, I believe, except the Vixens and Collingwood, will be on Channel 9 as well, which is great for the sport and great for all the fans. Absolutely. It's great to see, um, as we talked about a bit last on last week's show, um, a female sport getting back up and running. Um, I think I'm particularly excited for the Vixens Magpies Victorian showdown on Sunday, um, which is the, the one game that wasn't on Channel 9. But I am nevertheless excited for that game to go ahead. Just looking at the fixtures, they seem to have paired up the teams from the same state or the same area. Do you think this is a coincidence? I think it's very intentional. <laughs> the, you know, the first round, you want to get all of the derbies in, all the, all, the, all the clashes. You want to get the highest audience. And that's what the AFL did as well. You know, having Collingwood-Richmond as the first game back, they want to get as many viewers as possible. Sin, where young people run the show. Soft memories of youthful days. So, on to some horse racing news now. And we had some sad news over the weekend with a race fall, which led to um, one young up-and-coming two-year-old horse called Hot and Hazy having to be put down. Um, and it's jockey Andrew Adkins who is a 22-year-old jockey, um, also got some pretty serious injuries out of the fall. He sustained a collapsed and punctured lung, a broken collarbone, several broken ribs, breaks to both his tibia and fibula. Um, it was really a pretty nasty fall and something that was pretty hard to watch. Uh, the horse went down and he also was kind of trampled by some of the horses following on in the race. Um, the the incident is also um, under an inquiry now and looking into whether well-known jockey Hugh Bowman, who of course is known for riding uh, champion Mayor Winks in most of her wins, um, for his role in potentially causing the incident. Personally, from my point of view, I don't think whilst it was a pretty bad ride by him and um, for people who watch a lot of racing, you'll see that it was it's something that you just don't really see in racing. He turned his horse out on an angle that jockeys wouldn't usually do. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it just probably was a mistake and something that he would really regret for how much sadness it's causing across the whole industry. Yeah, you really hope it is just a brain fade and he, he hasn't done it on purpose. So it is, you know, it's really sad that this has had to happen and very unfortunate as well for Andrew Adkins with the like significant injuries that he has sustained too. Yeah, definitely. Um, I saw the footage. I don't think it would have been intentional. I don't think any of the jockeys go with the intention of trying to start a fall because it can end up like obviously really bad, especially for Andrew Atkins, but for everyone else who's also riding. But yeah, it is really sad when um, a jockey does sustain injuries and then a horse has to be put down. So yeah, I think it was just a lot of bad luck on the day. The trainer of Hot and Hazy, which was the horse that had to be put down, um, Danny Williams has also come out um, and done a few interviews just talking about how much the horse's death has really hit him and his family and all the stable staff who worked with the horse. And I think it just really emphasises how much most people in the racing industry really do care about the horses that they work with. Um, they don't just, you know, see them as money or anything like that. Like they really care about these horses and it's heartbreaking for them for this to happen, especially to such a young horse. Now to some F1 updates. They've actually cancelled three races in America. Tom, do you want to tell us a little bit more about that? 
Yes, so we have Canada, Texas, uh, Mexico, and Brazil. They are the races that I believe have been cancelled. But instead, we have three incredible tracks that are coming back to F1. So we have the Nurburgring as well, which is if some you know for those who don't watch Formula One is a very famous German racing track. It's 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 a track that a lot of car companies send their cars to to test their speed and handling. It is also, if anyone's uh, seen the movie Rush as well, uh, there was a driver by the name of Nicky Lauda. He had a very famous crash there. And they're moving to Portugal as well, um, a race there, which is going to be very exciting. I believe it's the first time there's going to be a race at that track in Portugal. And there's going to be a third race in Italy. And we're going back to Imola, which is a very popular and famous track as well, especially for all these young drivers who have grown up watching Formula One, will have grown up watching races at Imola. And it, it is famous for the Senna crash as well. It's interesting to see F1 making this decision to cancel their American races um, and to compare that to other sports, uh, particularly the tennis springs to mind, um, for pushing ahead with the sort of American iteration of um, their sport. So I think it's probably a wise decision by F1, considering the risks um, of the virus that are still very existent in America. Um, and I think by them being able to add in these extra races so easily um, should ensure that they can uh, let the whole season go ahead. Yeah, it is really interesting that they have cancelled these America races, but the FIA have obviously come out and decided that it's not safe for all of these drivers. And all the staff and personnel are, they're in their own little bubble and quarantine, but it is probably harder to, and probably, you know, it's not that safe to send everyone that's already in these bubbles into an area like the United States, who does have a pretty serious outbreak as well. And just to, just before we move on, we do have a double header at Silverstone as well, which is looking very good for Mercedes because Hamilton, I don't believe, has lost there for quite a long time. So a very, very famous, very interesting race. I believe it. I think it's branded the home of Formula One, I think, Silverstone. So... It is nice that we are going to be uh, racing in the UK still. Turn up your radio. This is Sin. Now, before we finish off today and let you guys get back to your Wednesday mornings, I would like to, you know, as you guys have listened and you guys have seen, we do weird sports here on the Sports Desk on Wednesday. And today we have found a sport called Octopush, which is a weird name, but it goes by a probably more known name as Underwater Hockey. Kendra, you know a bit about this. Um, yeah, so I just found out about it. It is an underwater hockey and it's meant to be a supreme aerobic game. So what they do is they, well, it started off as some sub divers who got bored from just swimming. So they thought they would play hockey underwater. What do you think of this, April? Yeah, it seems like a pretty intense sport. I'm not much of a swimmer, so I think I would struggle with it. But um so the play, they basically wear like a water polo um, kind of outfit. So they have the little um, polo hat on, um, but they also wear a snorkel and fins and um, mask and goggles and stuff. So they can swim underwater for a long amount of time. And they have a little puck that goes on the bottom of the pool and they have to swim along and try hit it into the other team's goal. It's really weird. The photos that 
I'm looking at, it just looks like they have like oven mitts on with like a wooden spoon and they're trying to hit the puck into like a goal. <laughs> it just looks really weird. Yeah, yeah one thing that surprises me is um, I thought they still might have had bigger hockey sticks, um, but the hockey sticks that, well, what are their hockey sticks are, are just tiny little spoon-like looking things. My opinion, this looks like a very dangerous sport. I just think of blackouts all the time. But I'm looking at an article now and it said, why should I learn? And it's saying that many doctors think that you should take up underwater hockey because it's an excellent pastime and it keeps the mind alert rather than just swimming laps, which is boring. I think personally, I'd rather be bored and know that I'm not going to black out than be well excited and potentially run out of oxygen i feel like it's a lot harder to organize an underwater hockey session like you can just go into a public pool or a random pool and just go laps by yourself and not have to worry about times or anything but for underwater hockey you have to like organize with other people like a time and a place and have a whole pool to yourself to be able to play well, I think actually, though, in Victoria, it's a pretty established sport. Um, if you search up Victoria underwater hockey, there's a whole, um, there's heaps of clubs all around the state. Um, like Monash Uni have one. There's uh, ones in Ballarat and Geelong. So wherever you live, it's like, seems like it's pretty easy to get involved in. They've got state teams, um, elite programs. It's, I think, sounds like it's a surprisingly big sport for something that not many people have heard about. It's definitely something, oh, it's probably the first sport we can actually recommend to people to actually try. Yeah, I think it seems like the first one that's got some actual pathways um, into the sport and for some, for some proper league play. All right, that's all we have time for on the Sports Desk for your Wednesday morning. April, Kendra, thank you again for joining us. Um, and make sure you guys check us out online as well we are on facebook and instagram and make sure you guys come back next week sin where young people run the show